Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Ayla, for whom her physical space is a reflection of her relationship to herself. Enjoy. Ayla, how nice of you to join us. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I am mm. curious as to where this will take us. Oh, that's so beautiful. I don't know if you know, but that is almost literally what I end my emails with. I did not know that. <laughs> yes, I write this in every email. Like, I'm curious where this will take, where this will take us. Joachim. Oh, that's beautiful. I really love unique and meaningful email endings. Nice. Nice. Well, this is a very nice coincidence, I would say, to start with. Um, I'm going to quickly say a few words about how I know you, how I believe we've met, and then feel free to add your own part of the story or correct me because I've been wrong before. <laughs> so I believe we first met in, thanks to Hanin, really. Hanin was the very first guest on this podcast, and she has this wonderful course called the Sex Homework Society. And that's where we both appeared one day. And I don't remember exactly how we interacted during the course. I think we, we did have a few like breakout rooms and things, but that's been a while. And then afterwards, I think it took a while for us to kind of like get in touch again. And I think that happened through Georgie, who has also been on the podcast <laughs> and who then put us in touch because she thought we we would have some some things to share, some things that we have in common, notably about our growing up. And then we started having this beautiful series of deep conversations that I really enjoy and that are very meaningful to me. And that's how I know you. Oh, that last bit brought a tear to my eye on him. Uh, yes, I can confirm that is, that is factually correct. I would have gone with a cheekier opening um, to say that we met through our deep cravings for sex. <laughs> <laughs> and then it alludes to something much more delightful, which is fun to play with. <laughs> um, but yes, we did meet through a good friend, Hanin, um, and the Sex Homework Society, a virtual uh, course and meeting of minds. We're all curious to learn about sex from an educational and sensual and um, embodied perspective. And that was a beautiful experience. And I remember seeing you in uh, the virtual classes and thinking like, oh, I really like what Joachim is sharing and I, I'm vibing with him, but I, I wasn't quite sure how to reach out or how to connect. And I actually remember thinking, no, just trust this, Isla, just trust it. And it will come if it needs to come in terms of friendships and things like that. And that was very new for me because I'm, I'm usually a f someone who hits on friends. I'm like, I want to be friends with you. <laughs> uh, 
And I took a different approach to this. And uh, that was also really enjoyable that we got set up by another friend later Mm. on to be in touch. Yeah, I really like that you share that because for me, this is very much related to the whole idea of relating to self, right? This, how you navigate expressing yourself to others is very much a reflection also of, of an inner world, I believe. And interestingly, I, I felt similar in the sense that I was intrigued by, by who you were, but I also felt it was slightly inappropriate perhaps to reach out to people who you met in like a sex education class. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) they have the right to their privacy. Um, So yeah, that was nice, but you know, it was, it was bound to happen at some point. And I'm glad you are here to talk with me about relating to self. That is what I've been, you know, thinking about and writing about and going on about for quite a while now. And my first question is always the same when I open this conversation. When you hear the term relating to self, what does that mean specifically to you? Hmm. I want to start by saying it's, it's such a beautiful phrase relating to self. And I think many people may not have even heard of that phrase. As for the people listening, they probably have. (laughs) And I first think that's really sad. Um, if, If someone hasn't even thought of this, come across or been introduced to this concept, how do they have the power and the freedom to have that relationship to themselves? And when I feel sad, it's because what I imagine when I think of that phrase is a relationship between me and me. There was a hierarchy this would be at the top. And I imagine there's two beings, there's two of me. One is waiting in a room, waiting for me to come and visit her. And I'm outside at the door. And when I decide to be with myself, spend time on self-care, understand who I am I'm opening that door I'm walking into the room and I'm sitting next to her on the sofa that's what I visualize when you say that phrase beautiful I love the metaphor of a space where one part of yourself is waiting for the other to pay attention to her that's yeah that's very poetic I like that and this is new I've you know, the answers of the people uh, that have been here before sometimes have similar traits. You know, people talk a lot about like the different parts of themselves, often in terms of like the internal family systems framework. But I've never heard anyone speak of a space before, a room with a couch. And that makes me curious if you could describe that space for us. (laughs) Yeah, that's really fun. You're reminding me of when this metaphor first began for me when I was writing a guest blog for a company I was working with and I was writing about loneliness and connection and thus came the idea of connecting to self. And I wrote about this place within me called home. This was before I realized another part of me was in there. So first I began with, oh, there's a home that I build and I go inside and In there, there's plants hanging from the shelves. There's light beaming through the windows. There's lots of textures that I feel very comforted by, like velvet and fluffy blankets. 
There's colors that calm me down, such as deep greens, browns, and yellows. I really, really love the color yellow. It's different to a physical home, though I do think how you craft your physical home does reflect a lot about your relationship to yourself. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll go with that for now. <laughs> I love it. I think it's beautiful how, how specific you are and how precise, you know, about the textures and the colors and all that. And, and I also love that this place originated with this idea of a home inside of yourself. And then you said that you didn't know at the time there was someone in there. And so maybe you could tell us about how you discovered that there was actually someone in that home. Honestly, I was thinking about it before this podcast was reflecting on what relating to self meant for me. So it's very new in a way, but also I've had a lot of experience with internal family systems too. I had a therapist who worked on, on that with me and we discovered lots of my parts. And I remember her saying, remember, there's this core self of you. So we're meeting all these parts for people who maybe aren't, haven't been introduced to internal family systems, which are now referred to as IFS. It's working with the belief that there are many parts inside of you that either need to say something, need something to work through. They're often founded from memories of your childhood. This is my explanation of it, actually. Yohim, I'll let you also give, um, give yours. But during that time with IFS, as we uncovered all those parts, she reminded me there's this, don't forget, there's this core part of you. So imagine all these parts are the branches and you are the trunk of the tree. You are this core self. And that really helped me because... I was getting lost in all these parts. Oh, I can hear all these parts talking to me. Which part is this? Which part is this? Which part is this? And when I think about relating to self, I don't want to think about talking to 10 different islands. I want to think about talking to me, the core me. Maybe all the parts are inside her and I welcome all of her. I don't need to talk to one individual segment. Beautiful. Well, I would like to say something about what, what you just prompted this um, definition of IFS. I've never myself studied IFS or worked with an IFS therapist. So I know about the concept more from conversations I've had with other people. And it struck me because it resembles the kind of framework I have built for myself. Um, and I resonate with what you just said about this core part of self, I think I would call that like the, the mature parent inside of me that like makes the decisions in the end and that talks to the other voices in a, in a compassionate way. Um, I love also how you describe it as the, the trunk of the tree. That's, that's again, a beautiful metaphor. I've, I've never thought about that, but I like that because it, it, gives this image of connection to these branches, connection to these other parts of self. So that's beautiful. Hmm. I want to go back to something you said a bit earlier. You mentioned that when describing this internal space you call home, that 
how you design your actual physical space also reflects your relationship to yourself. And that's something I am very interested in to know more about. I'm glad you mentioned that because as I said it, I was like, hmm, I'm interested to hear more about that too. <laughs> and I started reflecting on how true that actually felt for me. And the first thought that came is, oh, actually, no, maybe I mean specifically for visual people. If you're a visual person and you're creating a space that doesn't gel with your visual preferences, that's really says something about you. But then I thought, no, actually, I think everyone's relationship to space is really special. And when I said that, actually, I'm not, I'm going to add, I'm not saying that if someone's space, if they want it to be messy, if they want it to be uh, they, unintentional, like they haven't thought about the colors or the, the shape or the smells and the aromas, that's okay. And I think it's simply interesting to notice your relationship to that space and the choices you've made, even if unintentional is a choice. And coming back to myself as a very visual person, space is really important to me and it's a huge part of my self-care. The way I design my space, everywhere I stay, even temporary places, hotels, people's guest rooms, I will change the space. I will find a scarf that I have and put it on the floor if there's a hard floor because it's too cold because I want warmth and comfort. I crave warm colors, so I'll buy a candle. I might put the candle on, use some incense, change the smell, change the lighting. I, yeah, especially if the lighting is white. So I want the lighting to be yellow and, and dark and um, warm and inviting. Um, yeah, and I might move the bed around. I might change the way the duvet is folded, the way the pillows are positioned. And this is all part of saying, this is what I like, and this is the way I like it, and this is what helps me feel safe. And it's also about owning a space. And as I adjust things, no matter how small, I'm telling myself, this is mine, this is my home, my temporary home for now. And it, it really grounds me. Yes. I love how you mentioned that the the intention of it is to make you feel safe. And I guess that's what, that's how it relates to relating to self, right? You relate to yourself in a sense that you gift yourself a feeling of safety. You think that's important and then you make it happen in the world around you. And I think that's, that's wonderful. That's a really nice way of navigating that for yourself. And I, I had a, a chuckle almost when you mentioned like, you know, changing the lights to warmer lights and maybe even, shifting the furniture around because I remember in, in November, I, I went to Portugal with, um, Anne Lorraine, who I hope at some point will also be on the podcast. And we rented a beautiful apartment in a small town at the seaside. It looked wonderful in the pictures, but then when we arrived in the space, we immediately both felt like, wait, something's off. This is not a good space. Like this doesn't work for us. And the first thing we did before we even unpacked was just kind of like put the furniture slightly more aligned, like in, in that it fit better in the space. And then when we switched on the light, we were like, no. And the next day 
we went to the shop and, and bought some new lights and just changed all the lights in the whole apartment. <laughs> so yes, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's so important. It sounds like you, you also have a connection to space mm. in your physical reality. Um, but jumping back, I'm actually really curious to see if you were to walk into this internal home, what that would look like for you. Mm, thank you for that question. I don't think I have an answer to that. I, I, I do realize that I am not a very visual person. And when I say that, I mean more like my, my inner world, my imagination doesn't really work in images that much. Uh, because I do care about beauty and architecture and design. And so visually, visual cues in my environment are important to me. But my internal world works more in, I think, concepts and feelings and sounds, perhaps. So when I think about the place called home in myself, what comes up for me is more like a a feeling of connection and compassion and a kind of warm holding myself, like there's an internal hug. And that's what home represents for me inside of myself. So I don't have a space that I imagine, uh, but it's interesting. I Maybe I should do that exercise of just sitting down and then like writing about my inner space and what it looks like. That's interesting. Thank you for the question, Ayla. <laughs> You're welcome. I also love the anarchistic answer. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's what's true for you. Right? Yes. I'm really curious if in navigating your relationship with yourself, you have found other practices that have helped you throughout the years, besides creating a beautiful space around yourself that fits you. Um, what else is it that you engage in maybe daily or, or weekly? to improve your relationship with yourself? Mm, I was thinking about this. The first thing I, that feels really present for me is my connection to water and bathing. I find water incredibly healing. And I remember someone telling me, you know, water is so magical. It can change form. <laughs> And no one had ever put this, put it like that to me. And I was like, oh my God, it can. There's steam, there's ice, there's running water. And then you find it's only places. There's bathing water from the shower. There's river water, there's sea, there's lakes, um, there's rain, there's snow. Ah, I've probably missed, you know, so many water formations. And so I've developed a really beautiful practice of bathing by candlelight in baths and in showers. I turn off all the lights and I just put one candlelight on and it's really dark in there and it's definitely not efficient for cleaning yourself because I will not be able to see anything, but it's incredible. And um, when I'm in that space, I start singing or chanting. And the other day I even for the first time started dancing in the shower and almost dancing with the water that was pouring on my body. So we were having like this dance together. 
as I'm saying it, I'm realizing how bizarre that sounds, but it felt so natural in the moment. I don't think it sounds bizarre at all. I think it sounds absolutely beautiful. And I, I kind of wish my shower was big enough to do that. <laughs> nice. What else? What other practices do you have? Because if all of them are this beautiful, I, I want to dig into that. Uh, okay, I'll go through a quick list. Journaling is has become really important to me in the last year. I have engaged in it over, gosh, a decade at least. But when I've truly honed the practice, it's been in the last year. And what I mean by that is attempting to to do it almost daily. That has lately come with a response to step away from it when I'm, I notice I'm actually getting a bit too in my head. So there is actually now in my opinion, a reason to step away from it sometimes. But otherwise, I see it as a very regular practice that I engage in. And I find journaling very magical. When I journal, ideas come from my unconscious. They're ideas for workshops I want to make, for a life I want to live and build and craft, for how I want to have that next conversation with a friend. It can be anything from big to small. And it it comes out as I'm writing that stream of thought, but only when I allow it to be a stream of thought, I just allow myself to write. And that means within the sentences, there's, Oh, I need to burp right now. Or what was that noise? And allowing it to be the mind, the weird and wonderful mind. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. I think we have a very different approach to journaling. I'm, I'm much more like, I, I realized that during my journaling also this morning, actually, I stopped writing for quite long periods of time. I just stare outside. And right now in front of my window, there's this incredibly beautiful, I think it's a Japanese cherry tree, Sakura. And I just sit there and I watch it and then no thoughts come. <laughs> and then at some point I will go like, Oh, I'm actually journaling right now. And then I go back to my journal and I'm like, I got lost staring outside the window, you know, that's, that's just what happens. Um, great. I think the thoughts are there though. I think that's the thought. Oh, I just got lost. And then saying what I got lost in, um, without putting too much pressure on you on how to journal. And I think it's beautiful, whatever your way is. Um, but I think we almost, under value are our mundane thoughts, mm. let's say. And I say mundane with rabbit fingers. <laughs> um, because that was for me and from my perspective, that was your thought. Oh, I got lost in this beautiful tree. And then what's why is it losing you? What's drawing you to that? And that could have been a really poetic piece of writing. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that, Anna. Beautiful. Is there anything else that you would consider a consistent practice for relating to yourself? Mm. Self-massage. I experience Mm. a lot of physical pain in my shoulders and my neck. So I like to engage in self-massage and stretching and yoga. That's probably weekly. 
and uh, in response to the pain. Walks, I like to go for daily walks for an hour. I, I don't like to engage in, let's say, the most known type of exercise. I don't like to get down on the floor and do a HIIT workout or do a run. It, it feels, it just doesn't feel like the way my body wants to move right now. So instead I try to go for a really long walk. Sometimes it goes over an hour and uh, it's always to a park. I, I don't like being around the concrete too much. Um, and during lockdown, feeding the ducks. That's been a very regular practice. I ridiculously bought 20 kilograms of bird seed. Wow. <laughs> online. And it's been my, it kind of had to become a ritual because I thought, oh my gosh, I need to get through this bird seed now. <laughs> Uh, so I pack a pot or sometimes I take two pots and I go and feed all the ducks and the pigeons and I've become quite brave feeding them by hand and the other day there was sort of five pigeons on my my hand and my arm it was, it was very playful and delightful mm, beautiful yeah I've since I was a child I've often fantasized about having a relationship with birds of some kind, you know, I find birds fascinating, but also they are so incredibly untrusting, you know, like they, at the slightest disturbance, they just fly away. And I've always been fascinated by the idea of like, how could I make birds trust me? Like what, what, what does trust look like for a bird? <laughs> and I haven't figured it out. <laughs> I guess maybe 20 kilograms of bird feed would be a good place to start. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant question. They are really curious animals, aren't they? I remember us talking about birds. And since then, I went to a pet shop yesterday and I met about 50 birds in this pet shop. And the owner introduced me to her bird and she put her fingers through the cage where her bird was sitting and the bird sort of bowed its head to let her stroke the back of its head. Mm. And I thought, wow, this bird is acting like a dog. <laughs> It was so peculiar. And uh, like you, I'm, I'm curious and fascinated and also I feel bewildered by them, trying to mm. understand them. That brings me to an interesting question. Something that I've been thinking about recently is the way I look at my own relationship with myself and how that unfolds gets modulated, I would say by observing not just other people, because other people feel like, you know, I see them as kind of the same as I am. We're, we're all people, but other creatures, other species behave very differently. And I invariably get interesting questions about how I relate to myself by observing other species. And I wonder if that is true for you as well. To reflect the question back, you mean, do I get asked, what is my connection to birds? No, it's more like when you, when you do feed the birds and when you have these birds on your hand and when you observe how they interact with you, does that give you a different perspective on how you relate to yourself? Ooh, juicy. <laughs> 
Wow. I'm going to give you an example, maybe to like frame the question a bit more. I, I recently observed one of the cats. There's plenty of cats in like the, the backyard where the tree is also. And sometimes while journaling, you know, I, I see the cats and they move around and I feel cats have this incredible ability to be present to their own desire. I feel cats never hesitate with expressing what it is they want right now. <laughs> and that makes me reflect on my own ability or inability to do so. And I'm like, wow, this is very different for me. I'm always like thinking about what would the other person want? How do I need to behave in this context and so on. Those are automatic kind of like thoughts and inner voices that play a part, right? And I have to exert an effort. I have to kind of like remind myself, let's check in with what I really want. And so in that way, looking at that animal gives me information about how I relate to myself. So that's the, that's the, the seed of that question, I guess. Thank you for that. That's a really meaningful example. I did have one of those reflections the ducks and the water birds led me to realize that I was practicing a secure attachment style with them. When I first took the attachment style tests, there's multiple online to find out what my uh, attachment style is. And by that, I mean how I relate to others and how safe or unsafe I feel in my connection to them. I came up as the anxious slash avoidant style, which means in simple terms, I feel afraid that they're going to leave any moment, be it friends or lovers. And I also, because of that fear, I either draw in closer towards them and uh, try to make the connection closer than it needs to be, or I pull away and I almost um, disrupt the relationship. I say this in present tense, but I took this about a year ago and I feel like a lot has changed. But I still feel I'm in the learning process of moving to the attachment style called the secure attachment style. This is more for the listeners. I know you understand it, Joachim. And as I move towards that style, when I'm relating to water birds or ducks, I notice that they really test me because they come and they go, they, they come for the bird seed. They might sit next to me the other day, a, a bird literally just sat down next to me as I was looking at the water. It was a Canada goose and it was just so sweet. And then she was done and she got up and walked off. <laughs> and just as I was enjoying the moment, she waddles off and all I see is the back of her tail. Um, and it, it reminds me of relishing it teaches and reminds me to relish the moment I have mm. with a being and to appreciate that moment, no matter how, how short it may be, instead of trying to lengthen it, instead of feeling sad that it's gone. Beautiful. I love that so much. Wow. I'm really happy I asked that question. It seemed a bit like far off, but it, <laughs> it brought us to a really beautiful place. I, I love this idea of appreciating the moment for what it is and not trying to lengthen it. That is definitely part of my practice as well. You said something really interesting, though, about this attachment styles. And interestingly, we haven't talked on this podcast about attachment styles yet. My question would be, when you think about the relationship with yourself, what is your attachment style with yourself? 
Ooh. <laughs> that is a great one. Have you ever asked that before? Nope. It just well, came uh, to me. That's impressive. <laughs> Question generating is extremely impressive and it should be valued more often. Um, Thank you. What is my attachment style to myself? Currently, I think it's avoidant. I'm, as we're speaking on a solo trip, spending some time with myself. I am in a monogamous relationship where I live with someone. And I've been noticing that I've been craving my own space. So I've taken this time to be on my own and be in the space, which again, coming back to space and how people relate to it, I do think um, personally, everyone should take that time to be in a space by themselves. I think it gives you the internal space to relate to self. And as I've been here, I have noticed a lot of fear come up. Fear of being alone, fear of being with me and different types of fear from uh, when I'm inside versus when I'm walking outside alone. And outside alone feels even more terrifying. And I avoided it. I have been avoiding it. I have been hiding inside, telling myself, oh, well, I need to eat now. And then I need to do this now. And then I need to do this now. Until yesterday, I hadn't left the house until 3 p.m. or something like that. And in hindsight, as I was writing in my journal this morning, I realized I was running from fear. Wow. I love how you were able to actually answer that question. Wonderful. And yeah, I think it's something I definitely want to spend some time on thinking about. Because the question is relevant and perhaps less obvious than it seems at first. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ayla. Mm. I'm curious if there's anything specific that is still difficult for you in how you relate to yourself. Mm. Something that I think is very present for me at the moment is the way I view my body, my physical body. And it's something I'm working on along with a million other things. <laughs> because we are all evolving beings. <laughs> and I notice this heavy shame that I still carry around the way my body looks, the shape, the stretch marks, the scars, the color of my skin, the hairs growing in places that I've been told they shouldn't grow. And... <laughs> I go through waves with this. It's so interesting. I, I went a year without shaving any part of my body. And I was in a relationship and I was also very comfortable being in that relationship, not shaving, which I think is a really important point to make because as I speak to a lot of female identifying friends, they say that, you know, that would be really hard to maintain that in a relationship as well. But I feel like a completely different person to that, that woman that did that three years ago. I, and lately I've been going through waves of 
just liking and liking my body. And I'm entering a new phase where it's, I don't necessarily want to put it on a pedestal and be like, this is this amazing body. And I, I don't want to put it down either. I don't really want either of those polarities. It's now more about embracing it for what it is. It's like, it just is. And long story short, this led me to dancing in front of the mirror yesterday with my belly. And I got my belly out and I started sort of squeezing her and letting her roll and watching how she looks when she's all rolled up. And then when she's kind of straight, straightened out and letting her hang out a bit. And honestly, I've never done that in my life. And I'd be curious to know how many people haven't done that. And why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a question that now, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> please let us know if you have danced with your belly or not. Because it sounds like an incredibly beautiful and meaningful practice to have. I love what you said about not wanting polarities also, like, like you know, not wanting to put your body down, but also not wanting to put it on a pedestal, as I sometimes see in like the self-love community, there are people who talk about like, you know, you're a goddess or you're a god or, you know, I'm, I'm a goddess and I'm a temple and they glorify this, this relationship they have with themselves. And I, I do feel uncomfortable with that as well. And that brings me to a thought that was shared also in one of the conversations I had here on the, on the podcast in a different context where we talked about accepting our own mediocrity like most people are mediocre in most things. Um, I believe every person is unique and in that sense special, but at the same time, most of our skills or our physical attributes are just mediocre. And I felt there was an enormous relief in me to accept my own mediocrity. And for me, that manifested more as like my, my thoughts and what I did in the world, what I created, and how I speak to people. It wasn't so much about my body, but now I realize that the same goes in exactly the same way for the physical appearance, right? Most people's physical appearances are mediocre <laughs> and that's totally fine. And we should just collectively accept that. And that would mean that we don't have to worry about that anymore. <sighs> what a relief that would be. Oh, <laughs> great use of breath. And thank you for pointing out that nuance. It's that we're both mediocre, but also unique in our skills and special. Mm. I think that's a really important nuance to make that you did very well. Thank you. Yeah, that's really important. Because obviously when I say I'm very happy to accept my own mediocrity, for some people that sounds like I'm demeaning to myself. You know, that's definitely not what I mean. It's just this like, you know, in many things I'm average and whatever I do, whatever I try, there will always be probably millions of people who can do that better than I can. And that's totally fine. I'd love <sighs> to hear from you if you feel comfortable, maybe one way you feel you're mediocre and one way you feel that you're unique. Mm, what an interesting question. I feel very mediocre in the impact that I have with my work in the world. I am not someone who creates things that millions of people engage with 
or love. I am someone who creates things that a small group of people appreciates, and I'm comfortable with that, but I feel that's quite mediocre. I do believe I am unique in the way that I have honed my sense of listening. I've been a musician for, for decades, a singer, a composer. So training my hearing was essential to becoming that. And I have found that I have been able to transform that skill and use it in different ways, in different contexts, in how I listen to people, how I listen to stories, how I listen to maybe even memes of like, you know, what's happening in the world. And I feel that is quite unique to who I am because of my background in music and then having gone through a transformation into entrepreneurship and so on. So in that way, I am unique. I'm so glad I asked that question. There's something so humble about what you share, speaking about yourself in that way. Thank you. I, I truly value humility as a as an expression <laughs> i think that's quite important in my world view oh, Ayla, what a beautiful conversation we are nearing the end of the conversation because i do want to be mindful of the time but before we part i would love to know if there was any question that you would have loved to answer but that i haven't asked you mm. Wow. I'm still thinking. I'm not sure. I feel like we covered so many beautiful bases, to be honest. And I remember writing down a question that I wanted to ask. Oh, yes. What isn't self-love to you? Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. Defining self-love by exclusion. I love it. I think that answering that question would take us down to many rabbit holes. <laughs> I think maybe we should do that on another occasion, Ayla. I would love to have you back here and continue this conversation. And then we can discuss what would not be self-love at length. I'd like that. I'd love that. Sounds great. Part two. Awesome. Then... Uh, as a final thing, is there anything that you would like to share with people who listen to this? Can they follow you somewhere? Can they maybe read your thoughts? Can they interact with you in some way? I'm not sharing my thoughts publicly at the moment, but I'd love to direct them to a book that I think is really important. And it's called The Heroine's Journey by Ma Maureen Murdoch. It's a book in response to The Hero's Journey I say in response to, it's, it's, it's not created that way, but it was manifested from realizing that the hero's journey has been something that's very well known by everyone, but it's very much for the male experience of life. And in the hero's journey, a woman is either a helper or a hinderer in every moment. Whereas the heroine's journey, as you can imagine, it, it, it gives a space for women to understand their experience of life and their transformations. 
it's been a really beautiful book for me that I'm still absorbing. So I'd like to share that. I think that's fabulous. Thank you so much. I've never heard of this book, but I'm really curious now. So I will look into it. Ayla, thank you for this beautiful conversation. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your presence. And I hope you have a beautiful day. You're welcome. And thank you to you for bringing yourself and your art of asking and being present to not just this episode, but I imagine every episode. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. Thanks.